As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Donna Dort. Donna Dort. Donna Dort. This is Lee Dort and I'm Donna Dunn. This is Lee Dort, and I'm down to Dort. I'm Josh Giddy, and I'm down to Dunk. Hey, this is Kenny Hustle, and I'm down to Dunk. I'm Darius Baisley, and I'm down to Dunk. I'm Mike Muscala, and I'm down to Dunk. This is Kapoku, and I'm down to Dunk. I love cereal. Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Crackling Oat Brand. Oh, I can have these? I'm going to share with my team, but I'm a hog most of them. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Go to theathletic.com slash down to dunk and get the athletic for $1 a month for six months. Tons of draft content coming at you early next week. You can get Sam Vecini's draft guide, which will just be almost too much to read if you don't start immediately on, I think, Monday or Tuesday when it comes out. So check that out. Uh, with me, as always, on Wednesdays is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, What's up? What's up, Andrew? And with us today, Raphael Barlow of NBABigBoard.com. Raphael, what's up, man? Nothing much, man. I like the intro music. I was kind of bobbing my head a little bit. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for joining. Uh, let's start with Chet. Chet is kind of the assumed pick for the Thunder, at least as of today. It, it kind of feels like that might be changing a little bit but we'll we'll stick with that uh we focused on him the last month and your first big board you had chet ranked fourth behind ivy jabari and paulo uh how close are those top four to you and what are your major concerns with chet i mean i think it's an acquired taste i think a lot of times well most of the year people thought it was just a big three and then now i think you can throw ivy in that mix um, I don't think there's that much of a gap. And I'm a Bancaro guy myself. I honestly feel like Bancaro is the best player in this draft. I know that's not the consensus. Um, he outplayed Chet when they matched up. I know a head-to-head matchup isn't everything. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's that much of a gap. I think uh, it's just a matter of stylistically, like, what do you like out of a player? I think, like, for me, I like someone that I can – say, hey, I'm drafting you high. Go get me a bucket. 
five seconds left on the shot clock. The team took away our best options. We need a shot creator. And that's why I think Bancaro is is the best option. Um, as far as Chet, I think he's probably one of the more difficult prospects that we've seen. You know, there are a lot of positives, and then there are some things that are a little bit concerning. And um, but yeah, I mean, you you know that he should be able to get rebounding and shot blocking if the the jump shot, especially in the half court, ends up translating. Then I mean, he's going to be really good. My biggest concern is that he didn't shoot the ball well in the half court. If you like break down his numbers, a lot of his jump shots or high percentage, three point percentage was really based off of him in transition. So hmm. that's a little bit concerning for me. Um, you mentioned uh, Bancaro's number one for you. Yep. Listener at Speedy Craxton wanted to know you've been beating the Apollo at number one drum all season. Why do you think most other media outlets aren't as high on him? Same reason they weren't high on Tatum. <laughs> yeah. so if you go back and look at the old scouting reports on Tatum, they said uh, he can shoot, but he's not an efficient shooter from three, mm-hmm. has quite concerns about his defense, is a good athlete, but not super high, twitchy, not super explosive, likes the ball in mid-range, settles for mid-range jumpers. That's you know not the most analytics-friendly. All of those stuff. I mean, you can just switch the names out, and the scouting report should be the same. Um, I just think that um, I think when you're like 6'10", 250, people kind of assume like you're closer to your prime. Or if you're really slim, people say, well, if he fills out, he can be this. Yeah. And that's just my opinion on it. I just think people may look at Ben Carroll as you know, like one of the things you say you, you read about him is, oh, he's the most NBA ready. He might win rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. But it's almost as if people are assuming that he's closer to maxing out his potential while the others like Holmgren and Ivy and Jabari people may think that they have a higher upside. Do you think there are teams that, because you read mock drafts and it's like Paulo doesn't get considered in the top two spots, or if it happens, it's very rare. Do you think there are teams in the league where if they had won the lottery, he would have gotten more serious consideration? Probably not. I, I think really? that, yeah, I just think that teams, at least just to my knowledge, prefer um, Jabari and Chet. And I also think that, at least for Chet, I, and I've heard this from from somebody that's connected, was that their front office may like Jabari or Paolo, but the ownership group is more intrigued with what Chet can do not only on the court, but off the court also. So I think that can play a role in it. And then we had a question about Bancaro's versatility from listener at Tom O'Malley underscore. Is he only a four in the NBA, or do you think he could play the three or the five? Because I know in high school he was a little bit slimmer, and his game was slightly different, and then he beefed up a little bit at Duke. How do you see his position in the NBA going forward? I think he's a four but he may play the five in some closing lineups, mm-hmm. which will create all types of mismatches. Yeah. You know, if you have him at the five handling the ball, you know, whoever's at the four, you can get creative and run some five, four pick and rolls or five, three, five, one. So I think a, a really creative coach. I mean, right now he's not in the Raptors range, but imagine like Nick nurse with that creativity, that creative mind, what kind of 
system he would use to make sure that Bancaro maximizes his, his skill sets and, and creates different mismatches for him. Yeah. And it also feels like the kind of system where he would have the defenders around him. Like if he's not immediately a good defender in the league, he would have that support on a team like the Raptors, as opposed to the team like the Rockets, where it probably doesn't matter right now because they're rebuilding. But mm-hmm. th- I, that I, seems to be the main concern. I mean, I don't think he's a bad defender. Like when I mentioned the Tatum thing, if you look at all the old Tatum scouting reports, they said he wasn't a good defender, maybe wasn't athletic enough, didn't play with a lot of effort on defense. And now here it is, what, five years later, one of the things people are saying about Boston is they don't have a guy on the floor in the playoffs that you can pick on and get a favorable mismatch. So Mm -hmm. I think that it's kind of being overrated in a sense. Like I've seen, and I know like basic stats on everything, I've seen people who really love stocks. You know, they take value in guys that get that get steals and blocks. And I think if you add them up, Van Carroll averaged a stock or, or two stocks per game. And but yet the knock on him is, oh, he's a lazy defender. And I also think part of it could be he was playing next to Mark Williams, who's such a good defender. And we see it in the NBA when guys have a really good rim protector behind them. They tend to let the guy go by because they figure somebody's going to clean it up and they may want to get out in transition. And I think that was part of the reason why he may not have been as engaged or he let guys go by him because he felt like Mark Williams was there to clean it up. And that was something he can fix, but I just don't think that he is this really poor defender that people are making him out to be. Yeah. And if and if you are a believer in Paolo and like the, the Tatum comp, I mean, he's already got the passing that it took Tatum years to exactly. Yeah. Um, yep. And also, if you're a, a Thunder fan that's a believer in Paolo, the Thunder value passing. They've shown that in the picks that they've made the past two years. Yeah. So. And I think that he is out of the three that are projected to go top three. I think he's the best passer mm-hmm. and he is the best shot creator and scorer, yeah. which is weird that you have that and people don't have them consensus number one. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It is really interesting. Uh, A lot of thunder fans are hoping that thunder will use their second lottery pick on a wing listener at Logman 92 wants to know who you would pick for OKC out of the trio of Shaden Sharp, Ben Matherin and AJ Griffin, assuming that they were all hypothetically available. I don't even think all three would be available. Um, Maybe, maybe, oh, that's tough. On one hand, I, I can say A.J. Griffin, simply because at one point in the year, he was shooting 50% from three. I felt <laughs> like he was not going to miss. I think he ended up finishing around 45%. And I still think that there was more to his game than he was able to sh- He was kind of brought along slowly, and I think he just kind of settled into a role as a, as a floor spacer but the injuries are a little concerning, even though I don't think he's had like any surgeries. I just think it's been bad luck. Mm-hmm. I guess you can say any injuries, bad luck. <laughs> and then, but Matherin intrigues me because he, I mean, he's the oldest of the three and like coming into this season, I just saw him as a three and D guy that scored in transition, yep. played with energy, but he made some strides as a pick and roll ball handler, shot creator, mid range shooter. So I think if, you know, best case scenario, you could end up with a two-way guy that can defend multiple positions, knock down open shots, and create. So I think his upside is crazy. And then the last one, Shaden Sharp. I've just, 
I don't know much about him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was at his pro day. I saw that, but yeah. I mean, who doesn't look good on one-on-one drills? But you can see, like, the athleticism. You can see all the potential and, you know, everything that, that you look for in a, in a wing. But just a sample size is small. But the Thunder have the luxury of being able to gamble. Yeah. So, and, and I would say just for the Thunder's sake only, just because you know that they have a, a timeline, your front office has security, I may gamble on Sharp. Yeah. And the Thunder have been linked to him. And it's interesting. Dwayne Washington's his agent, who was also Shea's guy when he was at Kentucky. But I don't think it's – is it officially his agent? I know at the Combine he hadn't really signed with an agency. Oh, he hadn't. Okay. It was just an advisor. Yeah, advisor. Yes, that's probably the right word. Because he was Shea's advisor. Yeah. And now he's Shaden's advisor. And you think that – there's some link there. Like there's a reason why there's the rumor that he's, that he has the thunder at the top of his list. You know, he's probably heard good things from, from Shagos Alexander uh, on that. So, but yeah, it's, it's a complete mystery. I don't know. Yeah. I think you, as a thunder fan, you'd be excited if they took him, but there's so much to learn, like starting with summer league, you know, that'd be the first yeah. time I've really seen him play. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, People are excited because they saw his YouTube highlights. You know what I mean? That's that's the part about the sharp scenario that is really interesting to me. It just shows like the power of social media because so many people like him, right? And I talk to different teams and nobody has ever denied his talent. Nobody has ever said that. But social media seems higher on him than teams. Yeah. And I guess it's a lot easy if you don't have any your job isn't depending on it. <laughs> yeah. So, but teams are just they really, really concerned about, you know, just the lack of film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one one um, scout told me that we know he can play. We know he's talented. We just haven't seen him play in any real structure because mm-hmm. AU or Nike EYBL is such freestyling and, and freewheeling and up and down that you really don't know how a guy plays with structure or the type of coaching where he's in a system and they said that's probably the hardest part to determine outside of the talent because there are a lot of guys that are talented but you got to fit into a system when you play in the nba yeah i'm just calling it shade and sharp propaganda until we actually see him play just because you just you just throw stuff out on twitter you know it's like oh man he looks great one on yeah. well imagine if Jaden hardy took the same route top 10 pick yeah he was someone that people were really high on coming into the season Struggled with his efficiency, but still, if I'm not mistaken, led the G League Ignite in scoring, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the G League is full of grown men, and it hurt his stock. If mm-hmm. he just doesn't play, you can say the same for Patrick Baldwin Jr. If they don't play, just sit out and chill. I would just, you know, work out. <laughs> that same intrigue and buzz that, that people have about Sharp would be there for them. And yeah. I think this could possibly change you know the the course of the next few drafts because if you got a guy that's projected to go top five you just might as well just protect his stock yeah that's wild. you were uh on one of your recent podcasts you were talking about that disconnect between nba twitter and those in the league who are actually working out these prospects would you say shaden's the best example of where the opinion differs the most between how they are talked about on twitter versus they're talked about in league circles are there other examples of that 
Yeah, he's the most. And again, it's no denying the talent. It's just a small sample size. And one of the more frustrating things that I've heard from teams is that um, they feel like he was being advised, which, you know, it, it does make sense on, on his side, advised to stay low because his stock was high. Yeah. And so, of course, if you're, a, you know, you work for a team and your job depends on drafting somebody, you want to know how he plays and how he looks in this situation. You want to see him playing against the best level of competition that he can play against, you know, at that stage. And so that's just the biggest concern. But, yeah, I mean, it's a wide gap. Like I said, nobody has denied the talent. It's just a small sample size and a lot of unknowns. So Jeremy Sohan is another name that Thunder fans have become familiar with in this range, uh, often reluctantly because they're worried about his shooting. Listener at Boomer underscore Smash wants to know, what skill is most likely to develop Sohan's jumper or A.J. Griffin's on-ball defense and lateral mobility? Um, <laughs> I don't think... AJ Griffin, he's he's a, a better athlete than he was able to show. I think he's just kind of, um, I don't want to say relaxing, but maybe a little bit hesitant okay. because he, you know, he had the, the multiple lower leg injuries. Uh, I think honestly, the easiest thing to fix is the outside shooting. And if if you put in the work and then you have the confidence to actually shoot it and let it fly in a game, right. then I think you can be better. I mean, we've seen guys that couldn't shoot at all. They developed into reliable shooters. I mean, one of the best examples I have is not a superstar by any means, but Dwayne Dedman from he's in Miami now, and he's not really shooting a lot of threes in Miami, but he had went his entire career without making the three, but he had been working on it. And Dwayne is a guy that didn't play high school basketball. He has a very good story. He should tell one day grew up Jehovah witness. Mm-hmm. So his first time playing basketball was at like a junior college. So he's been in the NBA. Oh, wow. Longer than he's been that. playing basketball prior. <laughs> so so wild. Um, but I, I remember seeing him around. He used to spend his summers in Dallas working. I remember seeing that he was working on his jump shot. So in my mind, I'm like, why are you shooting jumpers? And then it took one team. Um, Budenhauser was in Atlanta. Saw him shooting okay. in like a, uh, a workout and told him, hey, you know what? Stop shooting now. We're going to come back tomorrow and we can see if you can do it again. And he said he shot it again. Shot well. Then he said, all right, well, the first seven plays of the season will script plays to get you open to shoot threes. And it worked. And then I want to say he shot maybe like 35, 36% from three. And then that's how he got like this $40 million deal from Sacramento. So I said all that to say this. Dwayne was a guy that had never played basketball outside of just pickup ball until he was like 19 or 20 years old. And then he developed into a decent NBA three-point shooter. So if he can do it, I believe if you put in the work and the time, you can develop into a shooter. That's kind of the story Thunder fans were always waiting to hear for Steven Adams. Cause it was like for years we would hear that he was like working on a three point shot. And then we got one corner three in a preseason game. We were so excited. He made it like first play of the game. And then we just never saw it ever again. He never took another one again. Yeah. That was always our dream. And sometimes I think you can be put in a, in a box because I could see a coach looking at Adams. So nope. Big fella, set this screen, get these offensive yeah. rebounds. And sometimes I think it can just take the right coach to give you the freedom. And for Dwayne, I know in San Antonio, he said he used to work on it. And they were like, no, we need you to get offensive rebounds. And it just took one coach, which is Coach Bud, that 
let him shoot, shot the ball decent. It helped him get paid. And then I think in Miami, they're more so only if you're wide or open, they're not going to run plays for him. But again, I think like, you know, it just takes the right coach to believe in you. So a name that we haven't talked about much is Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. In your most recent trade buzz post, you wrote that, quote, Wesley has drawn attention from lottery teams and could be one of the biggest risers by draft night. Wesley has several scheduled workouts remaining with teams selecting in the back end of the lottery. What can you tell us about Wesley's game? And do you think he could be a potential fit for OKC at 12? Yeah, I like his game a lot. I actually had the opportunity to spend a couple of days with him in Las Vegas. And great kid. I mean, just an awesome person, first and foremost. And learning a little bit about his story, he was not, I don't want to say he was like not highly recruited, but he wasn't one of the top, the top dogs that you heard about. And he missed like his whole EYBL summer because of COVID. So I think that lack of exposure kind of hurt him in a sense. So he didn't have like the top 10 buzz that some of his, his peers had. And then he went to a team that had like six seniors. So he was trying to kind of fit in a little bit. And so it, it kind of puts it into context why, again, he was he showed that he's a definite NBA prospect, but it just kind of puts it into context why he wasn't so highly regarded in a sense. But I I like his potential, really smooth, good athlete, and he can pass. And so I think that with added weight, I think he's like at one, he told me like he's at 189 now, which he came into college at like 175. I think added weight would help him finish around the rim. That was probably his biggest concern or a team's biggest concern about him. And um, I think with the Thunder, there's a lot of redundancy at guard. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a situation where I'm just, I try to think from different ends of the, the spectrum. If I'm an agent, I'm like, man, I, I, I like what they're doing there, but it's a lot of miles to feed. It's, it's a lot yeah. of guards. So I don't know if it's the, best clear-cut path but then also had an agent tell me he likes the thunder for his client because he's like if you are the best guy they're they're just looking for the right fit and if they don't think you're that guy they're going to push you to the side and so he kind of used uh teo as an example how he played a lot one year he was in the g league the next so he's like it's kind of scary in that sense but he said they're just looking for the best guy so kind of a long-winded answer um, I think it would be an interesting fit, but I, I'm really high on his upside as potentially like a big point guard, but he can play off the ball. And I think the shooting is going to translate. Yeah. And like the Teo story, like it's going to get even more extreme over the next two years because they're going to bring in a bunch of guys Yeah, over the next two years. And it really will be like the best players are going to survive. Like everybody really likes Trey Mann and what he did this last year. Like, Trey's got to go prove it again, and yeah. he's got to be better than he was last year. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see how all that works, especially with adding some more guys in the mix. Uh, Rafael, you've made a name for yourself in international scouting, and that's one area that we haven't really covered yet uh, a whole lot on our podcast. So let's start with what are your thoughts on this international class overall? Is it a weak class? Is it underrated? What do you think? I like it. I like it a lot. And maybe because I'm, I've spent some time with a few of the guys and got a chance to know them. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a few players that probably outperform the draft position. Okay. So 
I look at a guy like Ishmael Kamagate. I think he's going to be really good. Late bloomer in a sense. Wasn't really one of the most talked about guys in France, but he has bypassed a lot of people that were more highly regarded or, you know, regarded and higher than him. 6'11", runs the floor, plays hard, can block shots. I think that he could be like this Clint Capella type center. Okay. Um, I like I like Nikola Jovic. I like him a lot. I really was impressed with his play at the under-19s last year. 6'10", 6'11", can handle the ball. Um, he's Serbian, and you know, you guys know Serbians are really skilled. I don't know what's in the water there, but no matter how tall you are, <laughs> you're working on your ball handling, your shooting, and your passing. And, uh, yeah, I think Thunder fans are familiar with, uh, <laughs> with, with Serbians, with Pokashevsky. Um, and, I mean, Jovic is similar. Not as, not as slim, but just, you know, a big, skilled, I don't know if you call him a wing, but just oversized, skilled ball handler. And so he's in that same way. I like him a lot. Uh, John Montero is someone that I think is very interesting. He's not going to pass the eye test, but he always plays well. And then there's like Gabriel Prashida, who I think fits a role as a 3 and D guy. Mm-hmm. And then there's Mateo Spaniolo. I like him. This crafty, creative, uber confident scorer that is young. I mean, he, he's he's young for his class. And uh, there's him. And then Hugo Besson. And then Usman Jang, who I've seen mocked to, to the Thunder in a few different mock drafts. Very intriguing. Kind of similar to Jovic in a sense. 6'10". Can handle the ball. It's more so of a guard than a post player or big wing, but I, I, I like his potential. So I, I'm high on this class. It may not have like your, you know, your Luka Doncic. It may not have like your top five guy, but I think that there's some value. So I want to ask you about a few of those guys, starting with Jovic, who seemed to have some big fans last summer before he pulled out of the draft, but it feels like his stock has fallen somewhat during the current draft cycle. Uh, one of our listeners, Magnus Z 88 wanted to know, What's Jovic's draft stock looking like going into draft week? Is it crazy to consider him to be in the mix at 12? Young creator upside and playmaking skills seems to fit OKC's profile. You know what I mean? I don't see him mocked that high, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me either because he does have, like you said, what OKC looks for and the Thunder value passing, and he is one of the, the best passing bigs in this class. Uh, so I, I could, I could see it again. I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't be surprised if it's Jang at, at number 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how concerned, cause it seems like people are really worried about Jovic's defense. Is, is that as big of a concern as people make it out to be? On one hand, I think it's a stereotype. I think it's very easy to stereotype Europeans as bad defenders. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, I think it's a lazy, Stereotype. I mean, there are going to be some concerns as he may not be like the, you know, the most crazy explosive athlete. But I think with his size and his mobility, he should be able to at least be a league average defender. I don't know if he's someone that you're just going to be able to just play off the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about Usman Jang a little bit. You were lower on Jang on your first big board, but that was in April. What are your thoughts on Jang as he's risen up your personal board? So I, I was able to find out some details and kind of put his struggles into context. Now, the first half of the year, he was bad. I mean, yeah. it was like 20-something percent from the floor, 17% from three. I know at one point he was averaging four points per game. And 
doing a little bit of, of research, and I don't know why I didn't think about this at all in the first place. It was a, a, a error on my part. But we're talking about a kid that was 18 years old from France, moves to Australia by himself. And at the time, Australia had extremely tough COVID restrictions. Hmm. So he wasn't able to have like family there. So just kind of put it into perspective. I mean, think about an 18-year-old in the States and we're saying, hey, go to another country by yourself and perform with the pressure of being an NBA draft pick. And even then, for like the, an average American, Australia is an easy transition because there's no language barrier. Right. But now put them in a place where there is a language barrier. You got to learn on the fly. And you're 18, you're by yourself. I, I know 18 years old, that 18 year olds that struggle going to college by themselves. Exactly. So I think that was a major, major part of his early season struggles. And then once he got comfortable, you started to see the the potential and why everybody liked him coming into the season. So that was an error on my part to drop him without really knowing the context of why he struggled so much. What, what do you see his role in the NBA being? Like, is he going to be primary ball handler, secondary ball handler, more like a connector piece on offense? I see him as like, and maybe this is a lazy comparison because they're both French, but I see him as like the Portland Trailblazers version of Nick Batum. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. even with Batum, he was kind of ahead of his time. He'd probably be more valuable yeah, in today's sure. NBA than he was in when he was with Portland. So I can see him as that role, as you know, your secondary ball handler, maybe in a pinch can be your primary, depending on the, the guys you have around him. So if you have like this, I don't know, dynamic scorer that is not really a point guard, but is more so of a two or combo guard and you need somebody that can bring the ball up, initiate the offense, and then also defend, you know, a, a, a bigger player, then I think he could be a really good complimentary piece. I was reading a scouting report of him and they were talking about his defense and saying that he actually seems to project better as a defending smaller guys, even though he's, you know, 6'10 or whatever he is. Yep. And then they talked about some like a version to contact. Like he, he doesn't play super physical. What do you think about those, um, those knocks against him? Yeah, I think it's fair. I definitely think it's fair. I mean, I want to say he's one of the most physical or aggressive defenders, but I mean, the mobility and the length, I think he can be somewhat of a disruptor. Um, he'll, he'll need to get stronger, but he has gotten bigger. I will say that I saw him last summer, just randomly in LA playing basketball with, with some guys. Um, I mean, it wasn't at like a rec center or anything like that. It was like an organized <laughs> run. <laughs> I don't want to make it seem like he was just at the wide hooping. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and so when I, I, I saw him again at the combine, he looks significantly bigger, even, uh, even a little bit taller. So I think that, I mean, he has put on some weight, but he's, he's still going to have to adjust to the physicality and get a little stronger. But I think Australia was a good test for him because the Australian league is pretty physical. Yeah. Uh, we had Sam Vecini on our podcast yesterday and asked about potential targets at 34. He mentioned Gabrielle Pachita. Am I saying, I'm not saying that right. Help me. Help me with my pronunciation. Gabrielle Pachita. Gabrielle Pachita. Uh, I know Gabrielle. I got that part right. Cause I did ask him, but okay. I think it is Pachita. Pachita. Okay. Uh, tell us about his game. Just your, very confident wing that likes to get it up, likes to let it fly, is a good shooter, but he's really good athlete. I think he's the best athlete. I shouldn't say I think. I'm 100% certain he's the best athlete 
from this international class. Interesting. Um, can run the floor in transition. Again, play above the rim. If he develops a little bit more game off the dribble, then he, he could be something special. But at the very minimum, I see him as a 3 and D, potential 3 and D floor spacer because he has the athleticism to be a really good defender and someone that flies down the floor and uh, just scores in transition. So, Rafael, you've been all over the world, and one of our listeners at Bray one hope I pronounced that right, wanted to know some of your favorites when scouting in Europe. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. For instance, what's your favorite place to watch a basketball game in Europe? Oh, it has to be – ooh, that's tough. Well, my favorite place is depending on the team's plan. So I don't know if you okay. guys see me post. I have this thing for, like, these crazy wild environments in Europe where they got flares yeah. and they're – Arena's on fire. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I love that. Um, I love just the intensity and the hatred they have. So now when I watch NBA games, like I'm watching the finals, you know how like you're, the game is in Boston and you see like the Warriors fans sprinkled out and they're like, <laughs> no, in Europe, you don't do that. You might not make it out. So uh, I actually just, it's, it's sad to say, I'll be honest with you. But I kind of like the element of danger. What, what could happen, whether it's <laughs> the arena catching on fire or whatever. <laughs> I enjoy that the most. So whether it's in Belgrade, Serbia, or Istanbul, Turkey, or Athens, Greece, I would say those are my favorite places to watch a game. I was just watching a like a mini doc on YouTube of a guy who went over and watched a game in Turkey. Uh, FS was playing Real Madrid, but it was just like regular season. And the atmosphere was like insane for what we would think of as like a regular season game where, you know, you have like the loudspeaker doing the clap, clap, you know, like yeah, directing yeah. fans what to do. Like it was out of control for a regular season game. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's a big. So to put that into context, that's a big rivalry in a sense, because those are those, those are two of the better clubs. But FS doesn't have a and I, I want to say soccer or football, right? football team mm-hmm. so they're a basketball organization so usually the rivalries are deep rooted based off of soccer so and it carries over into basketball so fs doesn't even have like a soccer team they've been good at basketball the last few years and then real madrid is real madrid so you're talking about you know real madrid is known for soccer first and then basketball second and fs is known for basketball so they don't have a hatred for each other. That's just a strict basketball rivalry, which, wow. I mean, it is isn't. It is intense compared to the United States. Yeah. But it's even crazier once you get the two fan bases that hate each other from a soccer a soccer <laughs> rivalry that's from 100 yeah. years ago. Like I've, seen, I've seen some pretty cool stuff. Like, I've seen games in Turkey where these two teams hate each other. And this is this is crazy. Actually, you know, I tell you what, it happened to me this year. I went to a game in Greece, and a friend of mine played for for Maccabi Tel Aviv, which is in Israel. And I go to a game in Greece, and he gives me tickets, right? So I look at my tickets. I'm walking up to the area, and I'm in this cage, in a sense. Like, I show my ticket to the guy, and he opens up this gate. This is in, like, the, the stadium, this gate. And then I'm only in an area of just... Maccabi fans mm-hmm. we can't like walk out to go to um the concession stand we can't walk to the bathroom we're just in there because 
I mean, it, it might go down. It might, you know. <laughs> so after the game is over, it's the same thing. They have to let all the other, the home fans file out, and we're just staying there, and then they'll let us out. So, wow. and that wasn't even, you know, an intense rivalry. So I've seen games in, in like, Turkey where, and I love telling these stories. If the game starts at 7, the fans are there at 6 o'clock. Jumping up and down, chanting, and I was doing some um, social media for a team, so I'm like filming, like you know, the guys warming up on the court. You know, how, like you watch a or you see on Instagram, 30 minutes before tip off, but the crowd is jumping up and down and they're chanting. And the social media manager says, "You can't use that video," and I'm like, "Why?" And he's like, "Well, I know you don't understand what they're saying, but it is very vulgar." And I'm looking, <laughs> I'm like, "But there's like eight year old kids chanting it." And he's just like. <laughs> And when I say it was vulgar, it's like the NBA players wouldn't be able to handle the stuff that <laughs> said. I mean, I got hit with a uh, a lighter one game. I was filming on the baseline, and all the guy did was shoot a three, and he left his hand up and kind of backpedaled, but he left it up too long to where it seemed like taunting. Lighters, coins, and they and they heat the coins up. <laughs> like with their lighters, they'll heat them up. So if you do get hit with a coin, not only you get hit with a coin, you get hit with a hot coin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, uh, I've seen series where, like, and this will be my last one. I can go on. It was in, in Turkey. You had the two best teams in Turkey. So imagine the NBA finals, right? But the fans in Golden State were so rowdy that the league says, we have to play this game with no fans. It, it is a danger to the refs. And that happened in Turkey. Like, they're their finals, no wow. fans, not even family could come. And then wow. I think maybe just last week, a team in Serbia just stopped playing in the middle of the finals because they were like, somebody's going to get hurt. So for whatever reasons, I don't know why I enjoy that element. of <laughs> You know, we're talking about Turkey. You'd probably be the best person to ask. Mitic, obviously he's coming off back-to-back -back yeah. league final MVPs. He's shown interest before coming to the NBA. It seems like he might be showing interest again. Are there any teams around the league that you think make sense for Mitchich coming over at this point? Yeah, it's just going to be a combination of uh, playing time. Like, mm -hmm. he's a star over there. He's won. Istanbul is a great city. He's making a boatload of money. So it's like, does it make sense for me to go to – a team and I'm going to be their ninth man or eighth man, or do I just stay here? I'm the star and I'm making a lot of money. So I think if he does come, it's a matter of fit and just uh, saying that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give the NBA a try. Yeah. Okay. Uh, back to my questions about your favorites. What's your favorite food and drink in Europe? Like it, it could be like a specific spot that you always go to when you're at a certain city. Honestly, I'm not a foodie at all. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, um, there, there was a spot in Athens, Greece that I liked, but I mean, it was just, I think, euros. We, I used to call them gyros as a kid, but yeah. they're just like these euros with French fries in it, and they may cost like, I don't know, two dollars. <laughs> that yeah. was kind of like my go-to spot, but I'm not a foodie. I'm not one of these guys that likes to eat at nice restaurants in, in different parts of the world, man. Just give me 
a snack and I, I'm probably going to spend my money on clothes or something like that. And I, I don't okay. drink. I've never had a drink in my life, so I can't <laughs> tell you anything about drinking. So that, that might rule out. Uh, our listener also want to know your favorite nightlife. Yeah, <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't really do the nightlife. Um, if I if I were into nightlife, I'd say Barcelona. I lived in Barcelona for like a month. Barcelona was great. I did live in Turkey for a year. I went out a few times there. That was that was pretty cool. A place that that has a great nightlife that you would be surprised with is Israel. Oh yeah, Tel Aviv. It it goes down in Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to. My last question was going to be. What do you think is the most underrated European city? Like a city that people wouldn't think of to travel to, but you think that people should put on their itinerary? For Americans, I'd say Istanbul. I think the world knows how great Istanbul is. But for Americans, we don't really know how great Istanbul is. And it's a kind of a trick question because Istanbul is the only city that is half of the city is in Europe. The other half is in Asia. (laughs) So (laughs) So it's kind of cheating. Yeah. yeah, uh, But the (laughs) the majority of all the entertainment stuff is on the European side. But I mean, I love Istanbul. I mean, the the it's cheap. So I was just there. I went a few times. I think the last time I checked last week, it was like the ratio was like 16 to one from their dollars. So if you have so what is it? 16 of their dollars equals one of ours. So if you go over there with a thousand dollars, it's it's the equivalent of having 16,000 Turkish lira. So not only is it a great city, it's you can get a lot of stuff in Istanbul. They have if you love basketball like I do, you have three Euro League teams or at least it depends. But you can have up to two Euro League teams, two Euro Cup teams, intense rivalries, um, easy to get out of, major airport. It, it just has everything that I look for in a city. And then my last question on international prospects, just for fun, can you give us your quick thoughts on Victor Wembanyama in the 23 draft? Everyone knows his name by this point, mm-hmm. but I feel like most of us have only seen random clips of him. What's yep. your quick scouting report on Victor? Man, he's incredible. Like, I would say if you want to watch him, watch the gold medal game last year at the under-19 where USA mm-hmm. played France, he was the best player on the floor. Without a doubt, best player on the floor. USA wins because he gets in foul trouble. But on that Team USA roster was Chet Holmgren, Johnny Davis, Jaden Ivey, um, Peyton Watson, I mean, they had some really good players, and he was the mm-hmm. best player on the floor. So imagine Chet with a little bit more stuff to his game. Okay. Chet with a little where you – I think I feel more comfortable if I had to choose between the two at the end of the shot clock, go create something for me. I, w- I, w- I think I would go with Wimbenyama. Uh Excellent shot blocker. Maybe just as skinny as Chet, but, I mean, he was he was phenomenal. Do you do you would you be surprised at this point if he isn't the number one pick next year, or do you think someone like Scoot Henderson still has a shot, depending on how like the lottery shakes out? Yeah, I think he'll be number one. I think somebody's gonna go with a big if they had to choose between the two. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the tradition in a sense. Um, because if Jaden Ivey is not going number one, that means people are gonna lean towards bigs. True. And I thought yeah. Ivy was was phenomenal. But yeah, I mean, I, I had a chance to watch him play this year, and uh, it's a crazy story. I'll show you how dedicated i am to this basketball i got married in paris and then the day i got married i went to a 
Victor Wimbayama game <laughs> <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> nice. I mean, that, but no, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be really good. So we have a, f- a few more questions just from our listeners. The first from at Medicine Clam. You know, we're hearing about all these workouts. You probably know better than us. How do different teams organize their workouts for prospects? Is it fairly standardized? Like a team will just kind of run guys through the same thing? Or is it more tailored to each player when they bring them in? Yeah, it's a tough question because there's like 30 different teams and yeah. they have different styles. Well, some may have the same style because they may come from the same tree, for example. You know, like guys that come from the Spurs system, they all do it one way. I mean, you can look at, for example, the Bulls, the Nuggets, and now the Timberwolves all come from that Denver tree. So they may do things yeah. similar. Um, but yeah, it just depends. And sometimes I'm actually shocked at how things are ran. Like there was a prospect I was pretty close to last year and he felt like teams didn't understand what position he played. So he said one workout, he may work out with bigs and then the next team he may work out with guards or wings. So everyone mm. is different. Then I've heard like some teams, it's just like conditioning. Uh, I talked to Darion Sebron on my podcast today, he said one a workout he had, he had to play full court one-on-one. Oh, and wow. um, I've heard sometimes it's all about seeing how competitive a guy is. Like they're really yeah. trying to see what your strengths and weaknesses are. I've, I've actually heard where, I don't know if I read it or I heard it from an agent, but a team interviewed a guy and they wanted him to do a staring contest. Oh, Yeah. Just to I read see. about that. Yeah, so I, yeah, so maybe I read about it. But yeah, the staring contest because they wanted to see how competitive he was. Like like if you're competitive in a staring contest, then you're going to be competitive in the game. Maybe that was their their thought process behind it. Right. <sighs> Andrew, you're back. I'm back. I'm back. I don't know where we're at, Al, on our dock. Oh, well, I'll just ask the next one. At Taylor Lynch 12, want to know what are the most difficult prospects to scout form opinions on EuroLeague, NBL, G League, or OTE? Which which of those leagues do you feel like is the hardest to get a grasp on? I'd say OTE because they're younger and it was so unknown. And as far as watching live NBL, because that is a long trip. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm a I'm a big geography guy, huge geography guy. I pride myself on my geography. And I was living in China, and I went to Australia to go to a, a game. It was when RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball played. And I underestimated how far Australia was from China. In my mind, I was like, oh, it's on the same side of the world. But it was closer for me to go from Beijing to Dallas than it was Beijing. Really? Yes. It was like a 19-hour trial. Wow. And, I, and I booked it like, oh, I'm going to go watch the game for – I'll be there a day and a half, and I'll come back. Yeah. It was it was bad. It was literally like me going to Beijing or going from Beijing to Dallas to grab my favorite hat and then come back. <laughs> I was exhausted. So so that time difference can can make it can make it tough. Uh, honestly, I'd say it's between OTE because it's so unknown in Europe, because if you're like Pokashevsky, for example, and this is probably the best example for a Thunder podcast, he had a great under 18 tournament. But then he was not good enough to play for Olympiacos, a senior team. Yeah. But 
you have to project how he'll be, and he's playing in like Greek second division. The Greek second or third divisions aren't really good. But then on the what what makes it tough is he wasn't getting minutes on Olympiacos senior team, but he can get minutes in the NBA. That's because in Europe they're not really into developing guys. You you have to win. There's no there's no draft. There's yeah. no reward for losing. So you have to be ready to come in and contribute to play, and which makes it tough because you like let's say he did play for Olympiacos. He may have just kind of suited up and just kind of been like their 11th or 12th man. So how do you evaluate him when, you know, only thing you can really see is, oh, he shoots it well in warm-ups. <laughs> he moves well. Okay, let's draft him. So that makes it tough. And Andrew, you're uh, muted. Still muted. I'm really right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> listener Zach Deeg, were there any players – this year, where the variance between the eye test analysis and analytical analysis was different, and how do you reconcile the differences between the two? So the eye test and the analytical was yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, I'll use Chet. Okay. If you, the eye test says he's a good shooter, but then when you look at the analytics, it says in the half court he only shot thirty three percent on jump shots. Mm-hmm. But overall, he shot 39% from three. So when you break it down from transition shooting to half-court shooting, the, the half-court shooting numbers were kind of alarming for a guy that people are projecting to be a good shooter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I think of like that question makes me think of Tari Eason just yep. because of what like statistically, like, oh, my gosh, like why isn't this guy the seventh pick? Yeah, And then you watch him play and you're like, oh, okay. I think I understand. Or, or, or here's one. Like one of the knocks on Keegan Murray is self-shot creation, right? The ability to create his own shot. Well, he was one of the best isolation scorers in the country. Yeah. And so yeah. it wasn't, you know, he may not have moves or shake and bake, but he was very, very good at isolation. And I think he ranked in the top 80 percentile in all of college basketball. Yeah. Are there any stats that – you rely on there was a little thread going on underneath the tweet when i was asking for questions you mentioned that you don't like using per 36 numbers um you mentioned earlier like blocks and steals how a lot of people will latch on to those are there any stats that you specifically like to look at for a prospect um i like to look at i'm trying i can tell you what i don't like and i was yeah yeah do that per 36 (laughs) I saw like this per 36 where it said James Wiseman was, and I kind of used it. I didn't have enough characters in in the tweet, but it was, I guess the tweet said Bancaro's per 36 numbers weren't as good as Holmgren's and uh, and Jabari's. And so I had mentioned that. I remember seeing this article and it came from like a warrior site per 36 James Wiseman. And it was like the best centers in the NBA were like, Jovich, Carl Anthony Towns, Embiid, Wiseman. And my theory behind it is, I mean, it's kind of simple. It's like, well, he should be playing 36 minutes, you know? So, yeah, right. And I remember one year, uh, Bismack Biombos per 36 were better than DeMarcus Cousins. So I'm not really too big on per 36. And I, if I'm not mistaken, the reason they started using per 36 as a, as a guy was because remember in like the 
2000s where guys were playing like 42 minutes per game. Mm-hmm. And I think one year there was like 50 guys that played over 36 minutes per game, which nobody does that now. And so if I'm not mistaken, the per 36 was to even it out from the guys that were playing 42 minutes to the guys that were playing 24. Yeah. But now you're seeing the per 36 comparing guys that played 12 minutes to guys that played 32, which I, I don't think that – I think you have to take it into in the context. Yeah. Uh, I know Thunder fans have uh, used it for terrible reasons before. I remember <laughs> using it for, like, Jeremy Lamb, like, thinking that he was yeah. going to be, like, the next Clay Thompson based on, like, a per 36 comparison. Yeah. 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 Or if you wanted to use it for, like, Mike Muscala this year, it's like, well, Mike Muscala would never play 36 <laughs> yeah. minutes in the game. You know, exactly. But that's the thing with numbers. You can kind of shape them to any way you want to, to support whatever you want, want it to support, you know, whatever your, your theory is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raphael, we've kept you much longer than I anticipated. We really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast, answering all our questions. The draft is about a week away. It's going to be super fun. Uh, go follow Raphael on Twitter at Barlow 500 and go to nbabigboard.com for just some great analysis on the draft. And also listen to the NBA Big Board podcast. So if you're just a draft junkie and you need more draft content, uh, he's putting out podcasts. You're doing five days a week, right? Yeah, five yeah. days a week. And then the last two weeks, I've opened it up to doing guest appearances. Yeah. So I'm surprised I have a voice by now. Right yeah. now. <laughs> we, we really appreciate you joining us, man. Um, and we'll we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for reaching out. I enjoyed the the questions. So anytime you have something similar, you want to do yeah. a Q and A, you have. I mean, there were so many questions on Twitter. Reach out to me, and we'll definitely yeah. make it happen. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it after. Yep, sounds good. Who these guys are. So yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Raphael. Yep, thanks, no Raphael. And we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And we're back after that quick break. I think my internet's okay now. <laughs> Man, what was going on? I don't know, bro. That was bad. That was really terrible. It, it was actually a good time for it to happen because I was just asking questions about Europe. And you're gone again. You're frozen, Andrew. Oh, my gosh. Andrew. All right. Well. I guess uh, guess it's going to be Al Baby Cake show for right now until Andrew figures out his internet. I uh, what we wanted to talk about before Andrew left was some of the scuttlebutt that has come out this morning. Now I believe this was from Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN mock draft, and uh, he brought up the idea that Sacramento may be willing to move the fourth pick for a veteran and the teams that he brought up, I think it was like Detroit, uh, some other team and Oklahoma city. And the names that were brought up included one Lou Dort, which is very interesting because uh, on the one hand you go on uh, thunder Reddit, Andrew, you go on thunder Reddit and they do not want to talk about the idea of trading Lou Dort. They do not want to hear it. Don't yeah. bring it up. Don't say his name, but Jonathan Gavoni, of ESPN, we trust him. Now, now he he was he brought him up just as like kind of throwing out names. It felt like it wasn't like a, yeah. a sourced thing. He was just saying other people around the league have brought up Lou Dort, which I think makes sense just from the standpoint of who else would it honestly be? If you're <laughs> like, like, who else is there on yeah. the Thunder that would entice the Kings? And the and the honestly, the prize would be not not necessarily Dort. Like you give them Dort just because he would help them now. But the prize would be a few, like a juicy first-round pick, like in the future, that either could be traded, you know, this summer for somebody else. Yeah. If you were to trade one of those, like, unprotected Clippers picks, like 2026 Clippers pick, like, that's pretty juicy. Or if you were to trade one of the Rockets picks, you know, those are some juicy picks. So to me, it's saying like hey listen we can give you dort 12 and a valuable first that you can trade for somebody else that can help you now and so now they can take somebody at 12 have dort to help their defense today and then potentially use a pick to get you know whoever like maybe they could use maybe the maybe the pistons would want that for jeremy grant you know yeah i was gonna say like 
I feel like the Kings would have to have another trade in place before they did a deal like that. Because yeah. if you if you're planning to win next year and you only come out of the draft with your one vet being Lou Dort, mm-hmm. like I just don't think that's enough. Like he, yeah. he's kind of a weird fit because both him and Davion, if you're playing all of them with Fox, they're kind of undersized because now you want Dort playing the three. And obviously Dort can do a lot of things defensively, but I feel like some of his best moments have been against like lead ball handlers like De'Aaron Fox that we saw earlier this year or like James Harden. And so like in this role, he would have to be playing the the best like wing player on the team, which again, he can do, but like, is this the best use of Dort? And then they desperately need shooting. De'Aaron Fox was not a good shooter last year. Davion Mitchell wasn't a good shooter last year. Dort didn't hit shot under 34%. Sabonis isn't shooting. I just like don't buy that at all for the Kings. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He's just a taller, less point guardy Davion Mitchell. Yeah. You know, like that's what he is. And why would you, it just makes no, it, you can't play all your best players at the same time then, which has been like a Kings problem forever. You know, if they had, if they had kept Halliburton instead of Fox, I might like that pairing better than Mitchell and, you know, Mitchell and Halliburton. I might like Dort and Halliburton better, but they didn't. (laughs) And I just, if you're the Kings and you can come away with Ivy or you can come away with Dort and assets, it's just like, okay, like this, this does not pass the test for me. This does not pass the test, yeah. making sense for the Kings now. And and here's a, a, another reason why people are like, wow, the Kings are just stupid. Listen, they may do something dumb. That's totally possible. They're going to do something dumb in the name of winning. Now, bringing Lou, Do- I love Lou. I think he's great. I think he's a great person. I think he's a good basketball player. I don't think Lou Dort is getting you closer to the play-in if you're the Kings. So they're going to do something dumb in the name of getting to the play-in. Like Jeremy Grant makes way more sense. Like he's a position need. Like he can play next to Sabonis. Uh, You can play all your best players next, you know, all all at the same time. Like that's great. People are, people brought up on Twitter, like adding Kendrick Williams. I'm sorry. Like Kendrick Williams is not like a needle mover for teams. He just, he's just not, he's a player that you add to like a contending team to like bolster your bench. He's not a player that you add to a, a team that's just desperate for the play-in to get there. I mean, if if they just were like hell-bent on doing a deal with Oklahoma City, it could look like Dort, Kenrich, 12, a future Rockets or a future Clippers pick. And then it's like, okay, that seems like you stacked up enough things to get you to four, but then you like just start thinking about it logically. If you if the Thunder had the fourth pick, and like the Kings had that package, and we're throwing that at the Thunder, you would laugh. You would just be like, "What? What are you talking about?" Like logically, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. You do- sound crazy. That's what we would yeah. be saying to yeah. Kings fans who suggested that to us. I mean, we're we're telling them that four and like a top one protected pick. And next year's draft sounds crazy. Yeah. You know, like just think about how 12 and just some stuff that we kind of like <laughs> for four. It's just, 
I don't know. The Thunder just don't have the right piece. I mean, if they had a veteran like Jeremy Grant or somebody like that on the roster to throw at them, then I would just be, I would say like, yeah, like that 12 and a veteran like that makes some sense. Um, but like Dort's just not there. And if, yeah. Dort, if Dort was there, I don't know if they would trade him, but he's just not, he's not a premium asset right now. So this is like crazy because of the circumstances, but like trading back to five and getting Jeremy Grant, obviously I think that would be ideal for them, but I don't see why Detroit would do that. Like yeah. you, you'd have to really be convinced that they are going to take Jay Nivey and that's who you want. The other yeah. option that he brought up that I forgot about was Indiana and Miles Turner, which would be hilarious because you're pairing Sabonis with Turner again. But that idea actually makes more sense. Like moving back to six, like that sounds like fair value. You're moving back to six and getting yeah. Miles Turner for four. But the idea of pairing those guys up again and having Sabonis to relitigate Turner. whether those guys are a good fit. Oh I feel like Caitlin Cooper would go crazy if, if she had to write any more articles about it, Sabonis and Turner. It would just, it would be so frustrating, like as a Kings fan. And then you're just giving Ivy to them. You're just going to give them Ivy and Halliburton. Yeah. And Halliburton. You're like, you know what? We're going to give you the more favorable of the two. And we'll take the guys that you were arguing about for the last three years as, you know, if they even fit. And we'll take on that mess. Like, what do you? What in the world? What? What is going on there? I mean, I guess if if they had a player like Darren Fox in Indiana, maybe that's a better team. But I don't know. That's I don't why know. I I think I agree with Jake Fisher on the Slam and Jam last week. The Slam and Jam uh, when he yeah. said that his he thinks the most likely scenario is they just stand pat and yeah. use the pick. Yeah, I think so too. Like, if these are the deals that are out there, like, if this is it, you I mean, we're talking about like the Blazers using number seven to get like OG <laughs> or like DeAndre Ayton or something like that. And we're talking about this Kings using the fourth pick to get Lou Dort. Like, this doesn't yeah. make any sense. None of this lines up. No, it makes zero sense whatsoever. Um, uh, I. Yeah, I I would trust me. I would love for the Thunder to have Chet and Ivy. That'd be awesome. Thursday night, that accepted. would be wonderful. And even if it costs Lou Dort, if it costs a future first, fine. That's fine. Like you got, you have to use these future first to get something. You know, to swing for the fences, anyways. At some point, and if your team is Shea, Ivy, Giddy, who cares, Chet that's awesome. Like that's a great way to, you know, end your second draft, you know, but I just, I just have a really, really difficult time understanding how they actually get Jaden Ivy. And it makes sense for all parties. And Sam has done trades that don't make sense for all parties before. So you can't just like outright, just say like, there's no way it happens but I would just put the odds at like extremely, extremely low. Well, you just are able to pull something off like that. Even if people dislike the Halliburton for Sabonis trade, like the fourth pick in this draft and Tyrese Halliburton, they're in the same ballpark of value. Yeah. Because of the way people think about Jaden Ivey. So like they got a, whatever he is, a two-time all-star 
in return for Tyrese Halliburton. They're not trading that fourth pick for like a fifth guy in their starting lineup. Yeah. Or, or even like, I, I think it's crazy to even think of them trading that for Jeremy Grant. Like I would want way more than that for Jeremy Grant. Just take Ivy. Yeah. Don't P- please don't, don't, don't be stupid. Just don't take stupid. Ivy. Don't unless you want to be stupid and take Lou Dort and a future pick in 12. Then yeah. Yeah. yeah if you want to be stupid, by all means be stupid and do that. But it's it would just the Kings would just stay on the treadmill. Like that's just staying on the treadmill. Ivy's your yeah. ticket off the treadmill, and they and they might not even realize it because they're enamored with De'Aaron Fox. I get. I don't know, man. It's it's such a weird situation there that it, so it, the, it's volatile. The other names mocked to OKC in Gavoni's latest mock draft at twelve. He has him taking Usman Jang. Yeah, and then at thirty four, which by the way is before Jeremy Sohan is off the board. He has Sohan going at 13 to the Charlotte Hornets, which is interesting based on uh, our conversation with Sam Vecini. Mm-hmm. And then at 34, he has the Thunder taking Jalen Williams from Arkansas. Yeah. The uh, the center. Yeah, I don't like that. And no, then... I, uh, I actually saw Jalen Williams at the airport. Oh, really? A few weeks ago, yeah. But Did you say, did you say what's up? I said what's up. Um, I don't, I would, that's, I don't like this. I don't, <laughs> I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this. Uh, Jonathan Wasserman also released a new mock today. Okay. He's, he still has, I mean, everyone seems to still have the top two, even though there's been rumblings, you know, he still has it going Jabari Chet. Mm-hmm. And then at 12, he has AJ Griffin falling. Okay. Which I think we would be excited about. I like that better. Which also, by the way, he has Jeremy Sohan falling to fifteen. Does he? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. If you right get there. if you get Chet, I would I would want to pair him with Sohan. Like that's just how that's how I feel. That's how I felt for a little while. I just think the defensive pairing is insane. Like it sets you up to have a foundation of a elite defense where you kind of worry a little bit about the point of attack right now with the Thunder. Um, but if you have those two, obviously the shooting is going to be an issue for a minute, but you know, you're going to, for a minute, Sam, Sam is going to have to figure that out on some level where, and that's, if you do take him, that's where I think the conversations with Lou get a little complex, you know, and he's going to have to prove that he's, I mean, he's a career 40% three point shooter from the corners. If he can continue that, at least at a, it doesn't have to be 40, but if he's in the high 30s, then things don't look as bad, you know? Yeah, there's 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 so much you'd be banking on in that lineup. Like, one, you're banking on Shea getting back to what he was two years ago yeah. from three. You're banking that the 39% for Chet is real mm-hmm. and not something you should be worried about, as Rafael just brought up with his shooting in the half court. And then you need like also in addition to those two guys, like you're kind of already like banking on them, even though it feels like tenuous. Yeah. Then the from the other three guys, you need another one of those guys, whether it's Giddy, Sohan, or Dort, to become like a very good shooter. Yeah, it's true. That sounds that sounds scary. You the thing is, uh, you have time. They're they're not. There's no rush to be good next year. You know. There's no rush to be good next year or even the year after, frankly. So you've got time to figure that out. 
Um, I, You've got I, time, but like you also have to start getting something in place. Like, like being the worst offense in the league year after year after year. Like, what are you building? What are you laying the groundwork for? I don't think they would be the worst. I don't. I think that those guys. I mean, Chet obviously has a a high ceiling as an offensive player. I think so. I don't think Sohan's like some Andre Robertson redux. You know, like he likes to have the ball in his hands. He likes to be able to deliver passes. He likes to be able to like he likes to, you know, be a pick and roll ball handler and the roll man. Like he, there's just there's a lot more to him than Andre, who was scared to touch the basketball at times. But know? again, like, is that what we need? When you have Shea and Giddy, are we really looking for a guy who's like I think he'll all this? I think he'll shoot it. I just think that he'll shoot corner threes. So that's I mean, I I think that he will shoot corner threes. I think that guys with his level of confidence will shoot corner threes. <sighs> Andrew, I just want I just want shooters on the team. I mean, how how often last year did we see whether it was Shea or Giddy breaking down a defense, that would usually be Shea. Yeah, or just giddy like getting guys open, mm-hmm. wide open threes, and they would just be wasted over and over again. Yeah, I understand. I and understand. I get, and I get that like you have a lot of time, but eventually the guy who's going to be in that role is going to be someone who shoots really well. Because if you're not just generating those threes for fun, you're generating them to make them. And so eventually, yeah. you need a guy who can make them to mm-hmm. make this all make sense. So I get that they have a lot of time, but like they've already shown what they want to do. They're kicking out to three point shooters the entire season and mm-hmm. no one's making them. Yeah, I know. I know. I think uh, part of that, I think is by design, honestly. Um, I think they're just going to take whoever they think will be the best player. And if they think it's Sohan, they'll take him. And I'm going think, WPA. And if they, <laughs> if they think it's, I, I just watched a lot of Usman Jang and there's some stuff about him that I get is thundery. But there's just, I just, I just, I can't, I've not been inspired when I've watched him, I guess. See, for, for me, I feel like he's a guy they would have taken if they didn't take Giddy last year. Like if Giddy wasn't on the team and we had instead had like Mobley or whoever, like Jalen yeah. Green, then like the argument for Jang makes more sense to me. Yeah. But with yeah. Giddy on the team, it's just like, what is he actually going to do on the Thunder? <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't understand it because he's not a strong shooter either. You know, that's where I would be excited about AJ Griffin just because of the shooting. Um or Johnny Davis even just because I think that he's going to be able to score at the NBA level. But um Jang he's a project. Like he's definitely a project. He's got to work on his body a lot. Um he's got to work on his shot a whole heck of a lot. And, you know, Presti at the end of the season talked about physicality and how they need to be a much more physical team. And some guys you can teach that to, some guys you can't. And I just wonder if, I mean, they're going to do their due diligence on him to see if he could possibly be a guy that could show some more aggression. But, man, I don't know. I don't know. He does not he does not fit that profile a whole lot to me other than like being big and passing. And maybe that's enough. You know, I think that that was enough for them to take Darius Baisley. 
But yeah. That's in the twenties. Like this is a lottery pick. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't, I could talk myself into, to Jang if they took him, but I, to me, I would rather have like Griffin or Sohan uh, today or so. Yeah. I got to men- mention uh, Kirk T in the chat because he's been spamming <laughs> messages about <laughs> David Roddy the entire yeah. show. So let's just talk about David Roddy real quick because he mentioned David Roddy shooting, which yeah. is true. David Roddy did shoot 44% from three last year at Colorado State. But the thing that worries about me, and there's been guys like this before, Davion Mitchell would be the other one, yeah. is that he's not a good free throw shooter. He shot 69% from the line. Yeah. And his two previous seasons at Colorado State, he shot 19.5% from three and mm-hmm. 28% from three. So yes, he had this nice jump on three attempts per game, but I like I'm not drafting him with the idea that like that's definitely translating. I'm still like super worried. Yeah. But yes. he is super fun. We love the idea of him. Especially with Chet, just having the the, the skinny man, big man, you know. 6'5", 250. <laughs> Built like a brick house. I think that that's, that's something that I want to see, definitely. I don't know if he'll be any good or not. Um, he's got Wendell Moore at 36. I mean, I would take him at 34. Definitely over Jalen Williams. Uh, he's interesting. He's a young junior. He's a connector piece, certainly, on the wing. I mean, I... I would rather have him. Christian Brown goes a couple picks before the Thunder, but if he's there too, I I like him there as well. Um, David Roddy's going 30 in this mock draft, so he may be out of the range for the Thunder. Jake LaRavia is another guy I like, but they have him going to Golden State, which just feels right. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be so interesting to see what the Thunder do. I think it's most likely that the Thunder pick at two and twelve, but yeah. They're just because you can't bet on a trade happening, especially in the lottery. You just don't know. And the other team has got to be amenable to it just because the thunder want to move to seven or just because the thunder want to move to four. It doesn't mean that you're going to get there. You know, the thunder wanted to move from six to three last year. Like they wanted that very badly and couldn't make it happen. So just wanting something doesn't mean that you get it. And we don't know what the Thunder are willing to give up in these deals. Uh, is it a, is it enough to give up one of those like juicy picks from the Clippers or the Rockets? Like, I don't know. I don't know how these other teams value those things, especially right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe getting to ten with Washington, it could be possible if you traded twelve and a future pick that's maybe not as juicy. Maybe you trade them their pick back. Um. Maybe that's something that could be amenable for them, but I don't know. To me, it's probably not worth it to trade that for two slots where you can get a player this at the same caliber. So I'm, I'm, I've been like firmly team. Don't take a center in the lottery and firmly like just probably stay at 12 just because guys fall to that range every single year. It just happens. So I would, I'd be comfortable with doing both of those things. Yeah. I was talking uh, to sports fan four Oh five on Twitter that like, if I, if I'm really being honest, the reason why I want Presti to trade up is because then I would know that he got his guy. Like you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Presti got the guy he wanted. Whereas Mm. at 12, 
even though you're you'll talk yourself into whoever you'll still be wondering like is that really who they wanted or is that just who happened to fall yeah but if he moved up to seven and took literally anyone you would <laughs> you would be like 100 percent on board be so yeah. excited yeah who would be your least inspiring player if they moved up to seven if they took him you'd just be like oh honestly like that's the kind of move that would get me over the line with jeremy sohan okay like like if he was that aggressive to go get him then i would be like okay fine i will buy in (laughs) but until then (laughs) i'm worried same thing with uh like malachi branham would be another one that that was brought up a few times branham i'd be like okay i would i I would just be saying like all right i gotta see it (laughs) Like, yeah, but but that's the kind of guy where like I need to see him be aggressive for me to buy in. Yeah, if he took Jalen Duran at seven too, I'd just be like, Ugh, all right. See that that I would be I would be excited if they moved up for him. I'd be excited if he, if he was at twelve. Yeah, I I I get our thing with centers and not taking them high, but mm-hmm. I I don't know. I'm not sold if if certain guys that I like are gone by then like Johnny Davis if he's gone by then I I would be pretty excited. Yeah, like Sohan Griffin, Davis, Sharp are all gone at 12 and he's there. Then it's, then he, he might be one of my top choice. Yeah, if it's between him and Usman Jang, I would probably go Duran. Yeah, I definitely would. Cuz I do think that just having a lob catcher with Giddy that will catch everything. Like that's that can be meaningful and he can be the anchor of a defense. I just, I don't like him and Chet together. I'll just say that. Like, I just don't, I don't like it. I don't buy it. You don't buy it. I don't buy it whatsoever. Because I think Chet's going to be the center of the future for the Thunder if that's who they get. Now, if it's, if it's Jabari, all right, whatever. Jabari's not a center. He's probably not going to be a center. Yeah. So you can play him and Duran together. I like that a little bit better. Although I still, that would not be my preference. <laughs> I, I know these things don't mean anything, but uh, I was I was reminded that uh, Jabari has not scheduled a workout with Houston. Yeah, and uh, it was just a good reminder. Like, obviously, he still could drop from three. Like, if if Orlando took Chet number one, it's not impossible that OKC would go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that that is an interesting little bit of data that I'm trying to remind myself. I feel extremely strong today that it will be at two one of Jabari or Chet. I feel very, very strongly about that. Yeah. I don't I don't think it'll be Paolo. I I don't think they're gonna reach for Ivy. I feel pretty strongly that it's gonna be one of those two at yeah. the um I could be wrong, but that's that's I, I feel very strongly about that. Like I don't think they're gonna consider Paolo at that at that slot i think that it will be one of those bigs and i think preferably it will be chet holmgren um yeah i i would be excited if it's jabari though because i i understand like there's a lot of like smart nba people quote-unquote smart nba people yeah. who who have jabari as like the fourth in that group mm-hmm. um and i totally get the argument for why but i feel like okc is the one area or the one spot in the league because of Shea and Giddy, where like all of his weaknesses not are not completely washed away, but they just don't matter as much. And all yeah. of his strengths are going to be amplified because of what that team needs. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to play, if you're just like, hey, we're going to play five out and small and fast, like that's where yeah. you take Sohan. And I think you'd feel better about Sohan next to... If you had Jabari, yeah. Because he is just undoubtedly a, a lights-out shooter. And right. with Giddy setting him up, I think he's going to be like a 44% three-point shooter. <laughs> like, I really do. Um, yeah, e- even if he does end up being like the high-end role player that some people are worried that he might be you know he gets comp to richard lewis or people say like tall clay thompson yeah i mean that that obviously would be awesome the best (laughs) i am i'm still like okay with that because of who else is on the team right now and i know i shouldn't worry about fit and number two but i i would be pretty excited if it was jabari yeah i think you should i think that you should be excited whether it's chet or jabari um the competitive nature of both of them, I think, is an important thing. And I think Thunder will take to both of them. Um, yeah, Ivy, I'd be more confused about. But. Well, that'd be such a chaotic draft night. It would if be. That happened. Then what do they do at 12? I mean, it would be. It would be then, they, then they go tie tie at 12. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Don't Four do guard lineup, Andrew? Don't, don't do this. Muscala at the five. <laughs> it's a little bit of a signal that, like, yeah, we're gonna be bad next year. <laughs> yeah, that 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 would that would definitely be my big takeaway from draft night if they took Jay Nivey. It's like, oh, okay, we're gonna be pretty bad next year. The tank is the tank is on, baby. If that's <laughs> if that's the case, if they do something like that, and then they take like Kendall Brown at thirty four. It's like, okay. Well, this is a signal to the league that, like, we are in the tank race for good, everybody. Like, don't worry about us. So next week, Andrew, not having a guest, it's back to just you and me. We're we're going to be the day before the draft. Yeah. So we're going to have all the latest scuttlebutt, extreme scuttlebutt, extreme scuttlebutt. We got a little bit. We got a taste of it today, but there's going to be a lot next week. I think that was a very good idea of things that might happen next wednesday so uh, and who knows extra, maybe there'll be a trade by then it could be extra long pod today just because it's fun it's a fun season we did if you ha- if you're just listening to this you haven't listened to our episode with sam vicini go check that out as well that's on youtube and on and uh, check out slam and jam and then slam and jam on saturday we have over an vicini hour for long, an hour over an hour with vicini where we just lob draft questions at him for a long long time so uh, it's going to be, that's, that's going to be, it's a really fun episode. We recorded it yesterday. So check that out. Uh, we'll be back on Friday and just a reminder, if you haven't heard about our draft party, we are having a draft party at Fassler hall in downtown OKC next Thursday night from six to 10. Uh, come join us. Come early. If you want to get a table, I would suggest, if you if you're just a diehard Thunder fan and you're eating up all this draft content and you live in Oklahoma City or near Oklahoma City, just be there. Whether you have a friend to go with or not, because you will make friends there. Because these are just people just like you. I promise. We've had a ton of people make friends at these draft parties. We have a crew coming in from Tulsa. We have a prize pack for whoever makes the longest journey to this draft party, which I know that some people are coming from the East Coast. Uh, so if you honestly, if, if you travel that far, we will probably give you a prize pack, <laughs> you know, like we'll get, we'll get you something 
um, that night. So yeah, join us. It's going to be a great time. The Thunder may not be in this kind of position for a long, long time where they're picking two and 12. So this is like a huge moment in Thunder history. And I think it's, it's fun to be able to be uh, together as a Thunder fan base. So join us at Fassler Hall, June 23rd from 6 to 10 p.m. Uh, thanks so much. And we will talk to you guys again on Friday.